This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Today's guest is Ali Arson. And Ali has been working in educational technology for the last 18 years. And during this conversation, we're, we're in the middle of COVID, so it's going to be a fun discussion. But he's the CEO of a company called Edleo, and he's visited hundreds of schools to be able to find and build products that help improve educational outcomes. And we all know we're all looking for good educational outcomes for our kids right now. But one of the things he loves is learning from educators and having the opportunity to visit different schools and learn about what makes them special. But on the weekends and outside of the office, and as I'm looking at him right now, he spends a lot of his time playing ping pong, long distance running, and hanging out with his three daughters and wife. So, Ali, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me on, Ken. So tell us a little bit about who Ali Arson is from your own words and how you got to doing what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. So um, I'm, I'm just passionate about technology and, uh, and also schools, since I have uh, three kids and, you know, it's part of our life, schools. And, uh, but at the same time, I, I love running, long distance running, and that's how I clear my head. And I've been doing it since 1998. I'm aging myself here, but <laughs> I have never stopped running. Nice. No, that is awesome. How old are your kids? So my oldest is 14, the middle one is 12, and the youngest is eight. So it's three girls. So I've got two girls, 16 and 12. And, you know, how are you seeing that? Let's talk about the quick, well, we'll jump into the professional thing, but the whole schooling thing. How are you, are your kids remote? Are they in school? I know both of my kids are remote here outside of Boston right now. So, yeah, I mean, um, it is mostly they have been since the pandemic, since March, remote and on Zoom and Google Classroom, like almost everybody else. Um, Recently, my youngest uh, was able to go part time to school on um, just three hours a day um, and with weekly testing. And that has been working quite well. And she is the one, the youngest one and needs it a little bit more, the social piece of it. However, my other older ones, have adapted to the zoom plus classroom so well especially my oldest one doesn't want to even go back to normal school so it's been such a long time it's almost going to be a year soon that they feel like this is school so i think there is a normalization going on but for very young ones i think the um, it is very rough no it is i think the same thing my kids are a little bit older like your two oldest and it's, it's like everyone goes to their home office at eight o'clock in the morning, right? They go to their rooms. I go to my office. My wife goes to her home office and then we meet in the kitchen and figure out what's for lunch and then, you know, go back for the day. And, you know, it's sort of crazy to see, but it's amazing how the kids and us and how everyone adapted so quickly um, during this whole thing. So talk to us a little bit about Edleo and and how are you guys tied in with the COVID thing? Is it good for business? It must be amazing. Yeah, actually, um, we were just lucky, right? So um, 
we are a communications company. So Edlio uh, is responsible of the uh, communication systems of over 11,000 schools in the United States. So um, when it comes to the school's website or the text notifications, you get the app notification, the emails, all of that is products that we provide to schools and school districts uh, across uh, North America. And uh, as soon as COVID hit, of course, for our team of uh, over 125 people, we all had to go home from our five offices. And all of a sudden, overnight on March 10th, 11th, we became uh, all remote organization, just like our customers have become the same way. And uh, that, that, that is challenging. However, um, I think we managed it as well as we could and we got used to it now. So we're all working from home and so is our customers. But um, we had such high engagement on our platform. So just to give you an example, our system connects with Google Classroom. That went up 1,453%. Uh, the videos that people upload to the platform, they went up 400%. So overall engagement on the system was bursting in the beams because you need good school websites, you need good, good um, teacher pages so that the kids can click on their Zoom links and start their classes every morning. So um, we had to do uh, significantly more um, foundational work to handle the traffic on our systems. But you know, we find ourselves to be super lucky because in this environment, um, I've been working so long in educational technology, all the changes that I was um, waiting for happened overnight. Um, not in a nice way because of a horrible pandemic, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're all leveraging technology. We're all posting homework assignments online. We're all um, looking at our kids' progress online um, in the age of internet, which was not necessarily happening before COVID. Right. No, I'm sure. It's, it, and it's fascinating to see. It's like you said, right? Everything you wanted to happened overnight. It's, I was talking to the chief digital officer from Dell and she was saying it was 12 years worth of technology in about three months because exactly right. it, it forces you to actually adapt and adapt, um, you know, your systems, your, you know, again, your applications, what you're talking about. How do you think this is, this whole pandemic is going to change education? Because I know a lot of people listening you know, of course, as executive athletes, but it's, you know, have kids in school, right, that are athletes right. and everything else. What are you, what are you seeing with um, education moving forward with the use of technology? I think this pandemic, I mean, if, even though it may be with the hopefully uh, the, the advent of the vaccines will be a parenthesis in our history, but I think it's like a step. We just took a technological step and changed. So maybe down the line, if we have a uh, some classes, some learning can be done better with Zoom. So it may be like uh, um, English or some kind of uh, philosophy or other lessons there that can be more suited for a online environment and uh, the efficacy may be higher and maybe we retool the classroom and the schools to not necessarily demand that same format of a uh, whiteboard and, and a teacher in the front and then kids are sitting. So I think uh, we have learned about asynchronous learning, right? So independent learning um, or small groups, project-based learning. So we have actually made significant amount of progress during this uh, pandemic that some of these things are not going to revert back. That, that's our, C, um, our hope too. 
What are your thoughts with the whole college thing? What do you think is going to happen next? Because it's, you know, you start seeing Harvard that is, you're paying full tuition to do a remote education at Harvard. Why aren't you at, you know, University of Phoenix or Southern New Hampshire and get the same thing for a quarter of the price? I, I feel the same way. I have a really good friend. His daughter went to Notre Dame and then uh, Zoomed uh, at that tuition. And, um, and I think, uh, yes, I think a lot of the very top colleges and universities, the Ivy League, uh, probably uh, I would venture to say that it will be almost like a Louis Vuitton, uh, Rolex type of a brand that uh, is being sold as a product, right? Um, and maybe they can get away with it. But I worry more on the middle tier schools like my alma mater, University of Wisconsin-Madison, you know, um, still a relatively high tuition school, but maybe I can get it from the California State University system uh, at least the same quality of education. And I think that's going to result in some kind of question asking and uh, disruption in this space. And disruption is good, right? That's why we have today Amazon, we have Uber, we have uh, social media, and they were all disruptive technologies. And I think disruption is coming to higher ed as well, $45,000 of tuition, for Zoom is going to be difficult to justify. No, it's going to be hard. You know, I know California is probably a little less so than what we have here, but these sort of elite mid-level schools in New England that are more difficult to get into the Ivy Leagues, but no one knows who they are outside of it. And then people are like, I'm not spending 70 grand to go to Williams or whatever exactly. it is, right? It's, it's going to be a shift. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a shift. What are you seeing in, in the future of technology and online technology? You know, you're saying that you think it's going to be a little bit more ingrained, but, you know, how do you make it more interactive, right? Or how do you make it so the kids feel like they're more social or is that even possible? Yeah, I, I actually think it is possible. So one of the things that happened with this pandemic is that applies to our company as well, uh, Edleo is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our systems are uh, enterprise level products that are, have a certain level of complexity and they're difficult to use, but we're at the age of TikTok where it just flows and it is so easy to use and it is a pleasure, right? So, um, so we call that the consumerization phenomenon. So these enterprise products have to learn and evolve. And that's why Google Classroom has been also so successful because Google is so easy to use, right? So the consumerization has not yet occurred to these learning management systems, these communication systems. And I think the big work is gonna be to make them as delightful to use as the TikToks, the Twitters of this world. And that's gonna be the big work for all of us that created these systems to make it so easy to use for teachers, for parents that they don't think like, well, do I need to look at a manual? Do I have to read something? Do I have to go Google this? But it should just, self-reveal the information. And uh, that's going to be the next big work, I think, in our next five years. I think that I think the kids have it easier than the teachers, right? They, they, you know, my kids have two screens up. They've got the Google screen and their Zoom screen, and they're going toggling back and forth. And it's fascinating. It's amazing. And then they may have their best friend on their iPhone on FaceTime, right? right. So like, in addition to that, and they're talking to that, and uh, it flows so naturally. So that's why Zoom has been so successful because the product is actually relatively easy to use, uh, similarly to Google Classroom. So kudos to these guys. But uh, I think these complex enterprise products for also the teachers and the school administrators have to be easier and uh, shouldn't require excessive training sessions to learn how to use a product. I think that is just not going to be acceptable. 
Well, and two, we live in such an ADD world, right? You know, yes. if you want to plug it in and go versus actually having to learn something. It's, yeah, we, but, we but so many of the programs are almost smart programs and they just walk you through it, right? I think, you know, nowadays you get an iPhone and it walks you through the whole setup and boom, you don't even have to think about it and you're up and running in 15 minutes or 10 minutes. Let's Absolutely. shift gears a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're running, you know, you're a serious runner. You've been doing it for 20 something years. You've got some amazing marathon times. Talk to us a bit about, you know, competing and running um, and your history in that space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, running is uh, a huge passion for me. And I think um, it, it satisfies multiple sides of my personality, the competitive side as by going to uh, races um, and even though, of course, you have your age bracket, right? And But also, um, it, being an entrepreneur and working, it, it, I always say it's not a sprint, but it is an endurance sport, right? So it's like a marathon. You have a business plan that you have to execute. You're trying to capture market share. These are all very long-lasting and uh, deliberate efforts that require a very high level of discipline. And uh, that, it, what res that is what resonates with me with running. So if you have a goal of running in October for Chicago Marathon and you have a time goal, you have to make a plan and you have to really stick to it. So I have monthly plans uh, for my running and every week is uh, regimented. I know exactly what I'm going to run every day and it's different. And I'm, I'm chasing a goal for that and then I have to see also results. And of course, the time is working against me as I'm aging too. So I have to push the training even harder. So uh, that is fun for me. And it is also a pensive activity and it requires a lot of um, self-reflection. So I can think about, okay, uh, this last race was not good, right? I, I, I lost five minutes from my PR. And why was that? Was the training program worse? Um, we did have a discussion with my coach. And uh, we try to uh, take corrective action and then see if the results um, take place in the next race. So I do like the chase. I like to chase the numbers like everybody else. But also you have to take care of yourself and understand that the conditions are changing, especially as we age. And what's your favorite event? It's marathoning, correct? Marathon is my favorite event because I think um, I have friends that do ultras. And, and I respect those guys. They're amazing. They can go 100K, 100 miles. Um, I like marathon because the distance is, yes, long and respectable, 26.6, but it is not slow. You can be really fast on it. So it, it combines the two things that I like the most, the endurance as well as the speed, uh, if, if, if it is a good one. <laughs> right. No, and what's your best time? You've got some pretty, some pretty good times as well. It, my, my PR is 250.37 in Chicago Marathon in 2019. Congratulations. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I fell 38 seconds short of my ultimate goal of seeing a number that started with 249.9. <laughs> that was my goal. And so I'm working really hard during this pandemic, basically, as soon as the race is open, to hopefully see the number 249. Um, because I, I know that there's an asymptote. You can't go below, but uh, that was my best time. No, and that's, you know, and, and, and that's what makes it so much fun, right? The marathon, right? You can, you can come up, you know, 310, two. I ran, what did I run? I ran a 259.56. I broke it by four, Beautiful. Sub three. four minutes, one, four seconds one day. I'm like, 
suffering, you know, and, and, and it's amazing the math you can do in your head when you're running and you don't have, you know, a real watch that's telling your pace or everything else. Yeah, the, 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 the math is really interesting. Maybe you experienced it too. And in the first five to eight miles, I can actually calculate pretty much the pace calculations. But I feel like the IQ significantly drops as the miles are going on and the calculations are becoming worse and worse. Uh, but that's all the fun of it. But sub three is such an impressive number, Ken. And there was a, um, I was talking to a guy a number of years ago who actually made a rubber wristband when the whole rubber thing with the different paces, right? So you set, you say you wanted to run a three hour marathon, it would have it broken down to the, where you need to be at each mile. And, and that was fascinating. You know, that was right before the GPS watch. Now every watch is a GPS watch and can pretty much tell you what, you know, what you're doing or not doing or, you know, call home or allow you to throw up along the way. Who knows, you know, what, what these things are. So you're a CEO of an organization, you're running 250 marathons. Talk to us about your training. How do you train? When do you train? How do you pull it all off? You know, three kids, everything else. Yes. So yeah, because um, now that we're working from home, uh, you know, um, our, our time allotment has changed as well, right? I was, used to go to the office and then come back home and then find time around that uh, flow. Now I'm home, working from home, and then which is great. I can have a time with my children. We can eat lunch together and uh, also help them out uh, for their schoolwork if, if I'm around. But my wife uh, is doing most of that right now. But usually um, in my training plan, um, I choose the early part of the day. So I wake up around 5.45 or 6 to um, get out of uh, the, the training, the, what I have to do for the day before the day starts. So that seems to be very effective. Um, there are some bad days in Southern California. We had the fires with uh, really bad air quality. For that, I have also a treadmill backup, uh, which then I can sneak in between the uh, Zoom calls during the day. So, um, but most of my training I do before the day starts, before breakfast. Um, and, uh, and that seems to be the most efficient, except for the weekends. On Saturdays, I do my long runs which are, you know, 15 to 20 miles. And uh, those need, uh, those I do in the afternoon. And I've been doing that for years that way. And then the second longest one, which is about a 10 miler is usually on a fast 10 mile uh, is on Sundays. And that I do on Sunday afternoons as well. But during the week, it's always uh, first thing in the morning. What's your typical, what do you typically do for a workout for a run? Is it an hour, hour and a half? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, uh, the schedule changes. So, so Mondays is an aero run at low heart rate, uh, about seven, eight miles. Um, Tuesday, which is today that we're talking, uh, is a long interval day. So it will be um, five minutes at, at really high pace with one minute uh, uh, rest in between six hits for example, uh, that was today's. And then tomorrow will be another uh, medium long um, eight or 10 mile um, at um, aero um, heart rate. And then Thursday would be typically uh, at the track um, uh, doing real speed training, uh, uh, far legs or uh, 400 meter um, uh, laps at, at uh, five minute mile pace or sub five minute mile pace. Um, so just to increase the uh, high speed, Friday is uh, the day off. 
So I, I don't run. Um, I do some other sport, uh, play tennis or something else, ping pong. And um, Saturday is the long um, at low pace. And then usually Sunday will be a, a test run, almost like a little bit slower than the race pace at about 6.45 for 10 miles or 11 miles on Sunday. And then Monday back again. And we would continue this for three weeks in a row. And then the fourth week would be an active recovery where uh, the mileage goes down by half and just to get the body to rest a little bit. And then we add up a little bit more for the uh, week following and keep doing that. And obviously it's difficult not having any race coming up. So this is the maintenance. So we're not trying to really push too much the limits, but that's where we are. I know. No. How have you been, have you been racing at all doing anything virtual or are you just getting ready for the next sort of who knows what's next, right? The next season, race, year, decade, who knows when you're going to be able to <laughs> do any know. of this stuff. Yeah, so I, I missed out uh, Boston, Chicago, and Berlin. Uh, I typically run every quarter a race. That's okay. how I prepare. Every quarter there is a marathon that I run. And uh, there is no uh, perspective yet in the next six months that I will be able to do that. I did see that San Diego Marathon is, I think, coming up, uh, which usually happens in, uh, in the summer, um, early summer, June. So uh, if the vaccine works out well, uh, then, then I will participate. So um, I don't do any of the virtual races because I tried it. I just don't run as fast. Uh, if I'm not running with other people, I, I need the competitive edge of the fellow runners. Um, so I won't chase the time. So I did run by myself a couple marathons, but they will be four hour marathons. It's a huge difference uh, right. than the, what I do with the group. No, then you just get in your own head, right? At that point. And it's like, yes. you know, you don't know. <laughs> that's when the, that's when you're alone like that, the real voices come out and who knows what really what bad voices. Are. Yes, exactly. Do you follow any nutrition, any nutrition, you know, style of eating pretty much seafood, or, you know, you see food and you eat it, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm not very knowledgeable about food, but one of the things is um, uh, with the pandemic, obviously, um, I cut down alcohol significantly, which was difficult because, I, you know, I wanted to have a glass of wine every night, uh, but that definitely helped. And then um, also before race or I know exactly what my body needs. Uh, so it is, you know, um, two slices of toast with avocado and maybe one banana, but that's it, and, and a coffee. And uh, I'm pretty um, uh, religious about just following what works for me because I don't want to cause any problems, you know, in the long run. So uh, I follow that. And, uh, it, and I try to eat in a balanced way. But as the miles pile up, if I get to like 70, 80 miles a week, uh, I do try to make 50% of the food intake to be uh, carbohydrates mostly. And uh, so but it is not super sophisticated, but that's as far as I go. I'm the same way, right? It's like, if once you start getting older and you've been doing this for a while, you can really tell what, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Exactly. I think I'm a big fan, many of the listeners know of sort of, I train by feel, I love to train by feel versus train by heart rate or train by power meter or train by that stuff because days you feel good, it's like, oh, I shouldn't be going that hard. Or days you feel bad, you like, you can't even get your legs moving, right? And and I think if you watch the last guy, you know, the guy who won the Tour de France last, he took 
his power meter off and everything in one by two minutes. So I think there's a lot to be said for training by feel. I don't know. Do you train that way at all? I, I actually do. And, uh, and I, I can't agree more. I mean, I do have my Garmin watch and I know, um, and I tested this. So I actually know depending on the temperature outside and how rested my body is, what my heart rate is by a standard deviation of five, six uh, beats per minute. So, so I no longer look at the heart rate portion of it. And I have a screen that just shows me the laps and the miles and the time, but not the heart rate because I actually know the heart rate. And uh, so if it is a cool, crisp 45 degree day in the morning and uh, my heart rate is not increasing to 145 that I'm trying to get at, and then I'll just run faster and I, I can feel that. I, I think there's something to be said, or if it's a hot, muggy day and I'm running not fast, but the heart rate is over 150, I'll just slow down. So I think the feel is really important. And uh, I have friends that have run uh, only based on the metrics and you know all the heart rate shows okay and then they end up in the medic station so i think it's important to listen to our bodies because it's telling us uh what we can get away with no it's yeah it's so important because it's a it's a piece that if you become so focused just on the metrics piece uh, to me it takes number one takes the fun out of it but number two when you know, sort of shit hits the fan, you don't know what to do either, right? And it's like, hey, Absolutely. you know, this is what I need to do now, right? Do I eat this? Do I need that? Do I need to stop? Do I need to go harder? Um, there's so many different pieces of that puzzle. I agree 100%. I think you have to be in tune with your body. And if it feels off that day, just don't do it. If it's a hard workout day, right? And uh, you just woke up from the left side of the bed and you, you can sense it. Your body is telling you, run a five, six mile arrow, uh, take it easy and um, you can readjust the plan. And, and I, I, even though I do follow my miles and uh, my plan, but if I'm off, uh, I won't push it. None of us are going pro tomorrow either, right? <laughs> yes, so. exactly. We want to do it for many more years. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not sending me, Nike's not sending me a check. So uh, <laughs> if, it's, if it works, you want to go harder and not go harder. Um, it's important. Do you do, do you, uh, cross train at all? Do you do anything other than, you know, than running? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, with the pandemic, um, uh, it, about three months ago, I started playing tennis. Um, and, uh, my coach is trying to cross train me and I have never had much luck with weights or other kind of training. I just get bored. So, but, um, Tennis, I enjoyed. So, uh, and uh, I have a coach on that as well. And uh, and twice a week. And then I, I'm making a network of friends. So I have already three nights uh, booked with uh, different levels of players. Which it is a really good sprint, and uh, it's a well-rounded sport. And uh, I feel like it is it impacted my top speed uh, in a good way. Um, uh, so uh, that is my cross training right now, tennis, which is which I play uh, minimum five days a week. No, and also you're working out different muscles, right? Your ankle, exactly. your lateral movements, everything else. That if you're just running in a straight line and all of a sudden something happens, you're done. That's right. So the laterals have been the biggest surprise since I started that because uh, you know you feel the aches there, but then they're developing. And you know, as you said, if you're running straight line ten miles, none of that is happening. No, definitely. Now that's you know I think cross or cross training or doing you know strength training is is so important, especially as you age as a yeah. as a you know endurance runner or runner because 
it supports your body. That's the other piece of it, right? It's, you know, I'd rather have muscular support than cortisone shots. <laughs> yeah, I don't want the cortisone shots either. <laughs> so talk to us about, you know, moving forward. What are your plans in sport? What are your plans in business? We're coming up here on a half hour. This has been awesome. Yes. But, you know, what, what do you see the future of, you know, of Ali and in, in, in running and Ali and, you know, the business world? Yeah, so uh, in running, the, the, the short-term goal is before I age too much uh, to hit the 249.59. So I want to see that. So I have to uh, improve 38 more seconds my marathon time. And, uh, and after that, I will uh, transition to more recreational. I will always run because that, that I'm addicted to it and I love it. And uh, it's great fun. But it won't be chasing the number uh, in terms of uh, performance. Um, on the education side, where, where I am so passionate about, in addition to running, um, I'm hoping to see, you know, in the United States, we have 138,000 schools, 14,000 school districts, uh, about 7,000 charter schools, about 30,000 out of um, the 138,000 is pub- private schools. And the education the system providers are so fragmented today. There is no brand. There is no brand that is like Netflix or Amazon or ubiquitous with education. If you count Zoom or Google Classroom, which are general use, more general use, um, there is no brand that any of us have succeeded in building that, oh, if you think about education, we have kids, we think of Edlio or this name, right? So uh, that is one goal that I have. If I can build uh, or be part of the company that is known as the educational technology company, um, uh, I will be very happy. That will be one of the goals I have. Perfect. No, Ali, this was awesome. Where can people find, you know, find out more about you, find out about what you have going on? Yeah, so our company website is edlio.com. Uh, and, uh, and also you can reach out to me via email. I'm pretty good in responding. My first name is Ali, very easy, A-L-I, and at edlio.com, E-D-L-I-O.com. Perfect. And what I'll do is I'll post all that as well. And you'll get inundated with millions of people. No, (laughs) hardly. But anyway, so thanks for being part of this. This was awesome. I love your insight, what you're doing as a leader, as a runner, as a dad, and sort of in a cutting edge industry that you got all of a sudden we're in the middle of right now. So thanks for being part of this. And thanks for sharing your insight. Thank you for the opportunity and having me in this podcast. I'm really, really excited to continue listening to your show. Thank you. Thank you. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to me at kenintheexecutiveathletes.com. Go out there, keep making it happen, run hard, keep leading, and have some fun. Thanks for listening.